Good evening, Meat Suits. Welcome back to Read It and Weep, a podcast that used to be about books. I'm your host, Alex Falcone, recording, as always, from North Koreatown in Los Angeles. And a quick note, quick personal note before we, we get going. Um, I, uh, I've i been feeling a little down again this week, oh, you guys. No. Um, uh, and I mentioned this on the show before. I think it's sort of common with people right now that you kind of like... Some people vacillate between good days and bad days. That's how I've been. Sometimes I call it the Covey coin toss, and people have been nice enough not to ask me to stop. And um, but I've, I just feel like I've struggled together just like a whole week of bad days, a little over a week of bad days now. And I've not been sleeping well, and I have not been very productive, which for like a self-paced, self-employed kind of lifestyle is a huge yardstick. Mm-hmm. Um, of self-worth basically and so I've been feeling and also as I'm sure you guys I've also noticed from the internet um, there's a lot of good reasons to be pessimistic right now especially in California yeah the, the, so, you, like, wait, what you're saying is we got a real good show ahead of them today. Yeah. Yeah, I, I do have a plan for this just so you know I'm going to pull out of this um, I know I'm starting with a little bit of a nosedive but sometimes you have to do that to pick up speed so that mm. you can write the plane if you just like pull up the whole time you'll lose so if you were um, listening to this and having a good day, you know, really contemplate on these bad days. See if we can me, come down to our levels. Basically, let me get to this. So the state, uh, so California, like we closed like really early and had pretty low numbers for a long time. Um, they were consistently going up. Like the graphic is just like a slow but consistent ascent, like a very mm-hmm. pleasant hike. Um, and But there's no point on it where you'd be like, that's good news. There's good news here. There's no data that has been good the whole time. Uh, and then a little while ago, we started aggressively reopening in the classic American way of declaring victory at halftime when you're behind. Yep. Mission accomplished. We did exactly like I, this is, oh man, the whole country mission accomplished. That's what all of our masks should be required to say. Right. Yeah. Um, I love that. And I've been like, but I've been dragging around this morning too, but I realized about 20 minutes ago, that was playing and pulled up. I realized about 20 minutes ago that I was really looking forward to talking to you guys. Aw. And good. I felt that during the stream last Friday too, which was like, and, and and most weeks I just like, it's just like, oh yeah, I get to, I get to hang out with the boys today. And like, I feel like watching a lot of movies, this is like, I'm close to my record for a year already. And it's June, like watching a ton of movies has been one of the nice, like luxurious parts of having yeah. literally nowhere to be. Um, but then also having you guys to talk about them and I have um, at least a few people interested in hearing about that on a regular basis has been like, it's been been one of the one of the things that keeps that keeps me going. So thanks, guys, for hanging out yeah, with me. Yeah, yeah, of think. course, of course. Um, you were for, saying you had you had trouble sleeping though. What what was that? What does I that look never, like? I, I um, we haven't talked about this, but I have had like I've had trouble sleeping since college. Basically, I never oh, sleep super okay. well, and it does kind of go in like groups. It's like I'll have a good couple of weeks and a bad couple of weeks with it, and it really does affect everything else. But I'm just not. Yeah, I just like. And I have no trouble going to sleep. That's the weird thing for people. Like, I I can fall asleep pretty much whenever in the evening, but then I wake up and cannot get back to sleep. Ooh, and that I is a sleep in the morning. Like, if I wake up a half an hour early, I can't fall back asleep. I'm just yeah. up now. And so, and then, like, I'm just not great on low sleep. So I think that is, like, a big part of why my mood is down. But then they might feed on each other, you know? Mm-hmm. Like, I'm sleeping worse because I have been in a bad mood. I don't know. Um... I also have a lot of night. I have like exclusively nightmares. Like eight times a night, I'll wake up from a nightmare. I should 
really talk to a therapist, not you guys, about this. About, about the nightmares? No, I would but, love to hear about one of your nightmares, even though it's a really weird way to start this episode about I was in the Lawrence middle of pulling of out of this, too. I was, like, almost finished with the pulling out of the nosedive. And, well, uh, I like it when people talk about sleep. I'm a big, like, I like to talk about really? sleep. I think sleep is weird, and it's interesting to hear about people's sleep habits. I'm really into this podcast called Sleep With Me, so I was going to, like, recommend that to you, but it sounds like your problems are maybe a little deeper than Do what... Help, is it a help you fall asleep show? It's this guy, and he's an actor, and he plays a character named Scooter. And the thing about Scooter is Scooter is not very good at telling stories, and he's not a very interesting guy. And uh, he's just, uh, he just kind of, he goes off on tangents. Uh, he doesn't really have much to say, and he just talks for an hour. Um, a lot of times he'll, like, review an episode of Star Trek like a random one, like one I can't even remember, and I'm a huge Trekkie. Um, <laughs> and like one time he taught, I remember the first episode I listened to, he was comparing the third generation iPhone to the fourth generation iPhone. Uh, and he just, he does the trick for me. He, I've never made it to the end of an episode ever. I've always fallen asleep and it's pretty, it's, it's pretty sweet, but That's it sounds fun. like your, your, your problems are a little deeper seated for I me to be like, you should later. listen to this podcast. I mean, I, that does seem like it's a great recommendation. I'm glad you said something, but like I, so I kept a nightmare journal last year for about three months and at the time, like the majority of them, I would say like, f- well, not majority, but the plurality of them were work related. So it was a lot of like audition going bad, doing a like teaching a, a, a comedy class that goes really bad. Like oh. I did it. I was doing, I'm doing a show, but the audience is like an armed militia. Um, Ooh, like, that's fun. I, I do a lot. There's a lot of things where I can't get to a show either. Like my shoelaces won't tie. My backpack won't get on my back or like. I, I'm at a show and then it turns out it's been double booked or and I like I have to perform at the same time as an other comedian who in the real world I'm jealous of and they're like doing better in the same moment like very transparent emotional place and then also just like a lot of violence although the violent nightmares are almost always like guilt based violence it's a lot of like I did something bad and now I have to oh deal with it <laughs> I almost never do the thing it's always like I did something like and I <laughs> You guys have never had this where I'm like, six years ago, I killed somebody and I've gotten away with it until now. Right. Why did I do it? Like, I don't. I, wait, I'm like, so your dream. Oh, wait, let's get this straight, though. You, so your dream is of six years later after you did the thing. It's like where I remember sort of the way you, like sometimes I remember like, oh, wh- why did I forget I'm enrolled in this math class and I'm probably failing and I feel like oh, we're in college. I, I have that, but I'm like, dude, I forgot that I killed somebody and like. Why did I do it? What an idiot! And now, like, people but it's are already happened. Me. It's it's in yes. the past, so it's like you can't past. even change. Yeah, the dread of it not even being like something you have any control over. It's just happened. Yep. That's interesting. I have I have a lot of that. I have a lot of people just like chasing me around with with weapons. Um, a lot of on the run stuff. Um, actually, for a while, I had a lot of like travel related nightmares, like earthquakes, jogging through the airport. You know, like got to get to a wedding in Antarctica. Um, and the flight got canceled. Like, just the worst. I hate it when that happens. They're also yeah. tangible. That's what I think is interesting about it. I have, like, really well, out there nightmares. Here's but what these I would all say sound is, really grounded. I, it's yeah. a little cheating because I think what you would find is if you forced yourself every time you woke up from a nightmare to write it down, mm-hmm. in order to articulate it, especially in that dumb sleep, you would probably make it a little more tangible. So I think probably mine are just as, like, convoluted. But when I wake up, the only piece I oh, can hang sure. on to is, like, 
all the volume knobs are stuck on maximum. And yeah. I don't remember what else that dream was about, but that was the tangible part. Right. Yeah. 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 I, I mean, yeah, that's right. Honestly, I think you should, you know, maybe talk about this with a psychiatrist. And from the mm-hmm. sound of it, it sounds like you don't even need a very good one. Like this is a pretty surface <laughs> layer. So like, I, I know one of like those student psychologists <laughs> who will see you for like what the change in your pocket. You know, like that psychiatrist I saw when I was nineteen. It sounds uh, like you're stressed out about work. Yeah, <laughs> yeah just like, huh? What? Well, I mean. I almost we, we did should. it myself, to be honest. I almost just pulled yeah. out my pen and paper and was yeah. like, all right, let's do it. How does it make you feel? I mean, we need to unpack that bag, but thank God it's an overnight travel bag. It's pretty <laughs> light. There's not a lot of things to hide in there. <laughs> oh man that's so funny well i'm glad i've never actually shown anybody this except for my wife who thinks it's the funniest document i've ever created um and so i'm glad to have gotten to share a little bits with you it's just like uh 624 police called too long shower it's just like that kind of thing <laughs> do you ever do you, have you ever thought about reading these to an audience i mean not that we'll ever get to do that again but if I have, and I have not figured out a way. I just, I have, I'm going to thought about it, but I don't know how it were. I haven't figured out the structure of it. Um, I mean, I think it's already funny. You just kind of, I mean, I think you have to feel over it yourself. Maybe if you were like, I honestly get freaked out from all these nightmares. That might not be as funny. I mean, I do like, like these are all things where I wake up like stressed or tense or, or, or sometimes like deeply afraid, but a lot of them are just like stressy, like. Anthony and I used to do the show together called Late Night Action, and I had a dream last year that the show was back and we were having a staff meeting, but none of the staff respected me. Like, that's oh. what I remember from that dream. It's just oh. like the staff of my own show wouldn't listen to me. Anyway, it's the... Uh, oh, man, I had... Okay, last one. Uh, there's a dog <laughs> that flies a hot air balloon, and he got management before me. That's a dream from last August. And I I remember the name when I woke up, I was like, Swanson, the dog that flies a hot air balloon, has a manager, and I don't. What breed of dog? What type of dog are we talking? Like a Jack Russell Terrier? I mean, it was last August. I don't remember, but in my wanting to, it's a little, yeah, a little Jack Russell's a very good, it was about that size for sure. That's what went in my head. That's just like, you saw Grumpy Cat, like, like, showing up at conventions and stuff like that i mean literally there are yeah i'm sure grumpy cat has management (laughs) and did before me that's yeah and also again not that's please unpack this uh fanny pack for me of what this could possibly mean it's not deep um i appreciate that tangent you guys um the the end of my pulling out of the tail so I, i really appreciate you guys hanging out with me and i also want to say i really appreciate people listening and uh i guess especially i've been i wanted to start I'm trying to thank more meat buddies um, in addition to our long segment, but just like a quick shout out to a couple of people. So we had a few people recently switch over to the new um, Patreon by going to metreon.com, including Sean, who's been with us since 2017, Jonathan, who joined, was a meat buddy in 2015, and Darcy, who is the first ever meat buddy, meat buddy uh, prime from October 2014, been with zero. us the whole time. And recently switched over to the Metreon. So thank you to all of you and especially to Darcy for being around forever. So that's awesome. Let's get into the show. Um, I've been thanking you, but let me introduce you personally now. Um, joining me today, my two co-hosts. Uh, he's at Anthony Lopez part two in South on Twitter in Southeast Portland. It's Mr. Anthony Lopez. Hey, uh, excited to be here. I was going to bring up. Uh, I thought that was a fun way to open the show, but would also would be a fun way to open the show sometime especially with like this movie is if we just did like a long overture of all the music we play through the show. If we just no talking, if we just did like the three different songs we have 
I think just giving as a sort of a mood setting, uh, I think that would be a nice way to open the show. I'm not sure if any podcast do that. I feel like it would be a little long and then um, it would especially be long because we would stop in the middle and then do all of the same songs again. But we have a different caliber of music like this movie. The music was done by the London Philharmonic. And I feel like you can't tell them they don't get a big part in the movie. You like, yeah, you, you, you got the London Philharmonic. You give them an hour. Right. Yeah, especially right. when it's, you know, like one of the most like this is one of those movie soundtracks uh, that is just like, you know, the second they heard it, they were like, damn, we got a classic score on our hands. <laughs> Holy shit. It's like the first time like Spielberg heard the Jaws theme or like, you know, the Star Wars music, just like. Fuck, you didn't have to go that hard in the paint. <laughs> like, yeah, chill out, guys. Yeah, shit. This is so good, it's music. <laughs> You're making everybody look real bad. Um, also joining us today, he's at Hunbun on Letterboxd between two Popeyes in Northeast Portland. It's Hunter Donaldson. Yeah, um, I haven't revealed my rating for this movie yet because I still don't know. Oh, interesting. Uh, so our conversation will illuminate it for me. I actually oh, I just, love that. I actually just watched it too. Like literally just finished it 20 minutes ago. Amazing. Uh, That's and I haven't different... had my Popeyes yet. So those are all my things, basically. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um I yeah, I've just been trying to do on Letterboxd where I don't rank a movie that we just watched until we've had the podcast, so I don't spoil it for you guys. Um mm-hmm. but I haven't would not have ranked this anyway because I also do not know how I felt about it. Yeah, I got I a pretty solid idea how I, I feel about wait. it. I'm looking forward <laughs> to talking about it. Heck yeah. I can't wait. Before we do that though, let's talk about what else we watched this week. So Hunter, if one was following you on Letterboxd, what would they learn that you have also seen this week? Um, so I am uh well, I actually didn't watch any movies, uh, but I did watch uh well, I'm getting back into a TV show that I've been pretty into but i've only seen the first season so maybe i haven't been that into it uh dark which is like a german sci-fi show oh, on netflix on, yeah on netflix they just released their third season super good things yeah it's awesome the acting in it is crazy pants good um and the um the kind of sci-fi i, I don't know uh, uh so there's shows like lost and like, what's another good show I can think of that has well, like I mean, kind of an ambitious scope to it? To me, and it's Dark, sci-fi. To me, Dark is a uh, non-shitty Stranger Things. Sure, that's all there, like, and like thematically, oh, that's totally there. But what I mean, eighties, or is it just in that it's like it's, sort of sci-fi but sort of horror? It's about it's kids, kids disappearing. There's a kid disappearance thing happening. Uh, I don't want to spoil any of the show, so I don't want to go too deep into it. I want to talk about it more on like a how you, how I feel about it type way because there's this thing that happened to me that was very uh, that was very kind of formative in high school. Lost was a thing for me, mm-hmm. and I had a group of friends, and we were all very into Lost. And Lost was the thing that we talked about every week. Um, it was like a huge part of my my social circle. Um, and what that show did was it would plant the idea of something crazy is going to unravel in the in the show later. You would anticipate the the oncoming weirdness or these mysteries being solved. Uh, it was something the show did a lot and it kind of famously yeah. did it sort of poorly. 
Um, so I was like kind of on board for it as it was coming out. And then as it kind of showed its hand, I felt that it didn't quite live up to uh, the promise of its mystery. Dark, and, and you're saying that as far as like, as far as um, cultural agreement, you're being a little kind. It sounds like you're, you're being. Yeah. Yeah, well, I was, about your, oh, your description is, of the end of Lost. I'm a fan. So like I, I, I like Lost and I would even still defend parts of the show. Yeah. Um, but I think that is kind of the 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 key part that makes you upset about Lost. What I really like about Dark is it gives me very similar vibes of. OK, yeah, the logos here is are very similar. Yeah, Um it it is about very different things. I mean, they're both okay. kind of sci-fi in nature, but uh, the similarities in there. There's no island or anything, and and thematically, uh, Anthony's right. It's way more similar to something like Stranger Things. But uh, it it does a thing where it invites you to be like, oh wow, what a mystery! How are they going to? It, it gives you a weird cliffhanger, and you're like, how are they going to show me? Um, how are they going to resolve this and still satisfy me? And with within at least the scope of the first season, I was very satisfied. And several times the show did things where I was like, eh, I've been trained by loss to know that this is probably going to be bullshit. This is probably not going to add up to anything. And within at least uh, the scope of a season, I think they are much more responsible storytellers uh, than than those dudes. You know what dudes I'm talking about. I mean, I I would kind of just back a little bit on push back a little bit against that kind of notion. Cause one of the things that I think like I've also only seen the first season of dope, which I want to ask mm-hmm. since you, my wife and I want to catch up. We wanted, we were waiting for the third season to come out, but we were talking about uh, rewatching the first season. Cause it's been so long. Did you just jump straight into the second or did no. you review the first? Uh, so, uh, I am I am rewatching it with Elena. So she has okay. not seen it. So I'm catching her up and then we're both going to go on to the gotcha. second and third season. Cool. Uh, uh, so I do not I don't know anything about the second season. For all I know, it completely drops the ball like immediately. But, I have no but, idea. What I was going <laughs> to say, and I think that you can see this in sort of Damon Lindelof's later work, which I've been a big fan of. Oh, yeah. Leftovers fucking rules. Yeah. Watchmen, I thought was very good. Yeah. Also um, very good. But one of the things, like, when I watch shows like Dirk, I often think about if Lost had come out in a streaming, shorter um, run television shows that we're in nowadays. Because so much of what happened with Lost was, you know, they were doing 24 episodes a season, Mm -hmm. filming episodes while episodes from that same season were airing. So yes. it's like getting live feedback. And then as well, the biggest issue with loss was like the network wouldn't let them end it. So they had to keep going and going. And that's a big part of kind of where it sort of lost. Like I still think lost um, all the seasons are very good. The last season really blows uh, like the endings. Okay. It's just the whole final season. That sucks. I want to, um, I want to say something to your point. Cause I very much agree with you. I think it's very telling that to me, one of the strongest seasons, if not the strongest season, although it's hard to, I don't know, we could talk about that forever, uh, would be, I think season four, which actually yes. happened during the writing strike. So they just didn't get to make of as much of it. Like they yeah. were, they, they were literally limited and actually the show was breezy and awesome. Turns yeah, out I if mean, every episode is a killer. It's, it's a great, it can be a great show. Yeah, I mean, season four is also has the constant, which is 
I would argue, the greatest episode of TV, maybe one of the greatest episodes of TV ever yeah. made. Yeah. But if Lost had, like, if they knew it was going to be 13 seasons and they were planning it out from beginning to end and filming it all at once, it would be such a different show. And that's something that people like the makers of Dirk or even, like, Stranger Things or, I mean, even nowadays with, like, Watchmen or Leftovers, knowing, like, okay, this is going to be one season or three seasons and we can really plot out what we're doing. Right. Um, yeah. Yeah. Oh, I'm, I'm not saying that in any way, like they have, uh, they get to do it later in time. The landscape is different. They even get to look at the way, the way the whole lost thing played out and then respond to it. They have an easier shot at this. And obviously Lindelof at least, uh, has showed that I think had lost been on more on their terms, I think it would have been a much better show, but we, we talked about lost, uh, back in episode one ninety two, um, for the people at the way back, this is in 2013, I guess, um, before both of your time. Um, and it was the only time I've ever seen lost as I watched like four episodes, I think for mm-hmm. the, uh, for the pod. And they are so good. Like it was just yeah. four seasons episodes from the first season. And it was like, just, crazy good crazy delightful and interesting and um and then everyone agreed because everyone else had seen the whole thing they told me not to continue because i would just have my heart broken i i i honestly think lost is still worth watching the final season is definitely kind of pretty flat uh but the high highs and also just like you know my still my thing is like lost people forget that like like certain shows like twin peaks or x files there are certain shows that like they happen, and then everything looks and steals from Lost. I mean, a lot of shows feel like the mystery stuff, but just, like, the production value, the way they used music, all this stuff that, like, Lost was a super innovative show um, just just kind of got away from them by also being, you know, on ABC in the early aughts. Uh, it's kind of a, you know, a lost cause from the beginning <laughs> in that way, you know? Yeah. <laughs> um, I, I also, I, I haven't... I think I may have mentioned this, but I try not to talk about it much because I feel like it's too hurtful. But I, um, my wife and I watched The Leftovers on your very strong recommendation, Anthony. And we liked the first season, but didn't love it. And we started the second season, which you said is much better. And we kind of faded on it. And now it's been like a couple years since we tried. And I don't know what happened, but it just did not, just didn't do it. It just didn't feel, it just didn't feel right. I mean, I would be interested in now that you've kind of gotten this crash course in film history and have sure, had sure. sort of an exposure to Lynchian works, mm-hmm. um, that if you went back, because I still think that the second season maybe might start a little bit slow. I was in from the beginning, but I, I stand by the second season of The Leftovers is my favorite up there with like season four of The Wire as yeah. just like my favorite thing that's ever season been on two is the best season of The Wire, but yeah, yeah, season four is very good. Yeah, man, that show freaking uh, rules. Alex, um, please, please give that show another shot at some point. I also want to watch The Watchmen because that's what every because everyone t- talked about it so much. And then Anthony, you told me I can't until I read the comics, I, and so I, I have the comic. And I just haven't. You did. I didn't, no, I said it would definitely. You, it's enriching to read the comics first, but I do think that like you would, might need to check. You know, go down your wiki hole every once in a while just to be like, wait. Why is this? What is this a reference to? But I do think as a standalone story, you get enough sort of context, but you're going to be missing a lot of it. Yeah, if you haven't it's seen. definitely enriched by re- But but also like you could read the graphic novel in like a 
day. I mean, you could just sit down and. But what if hypothetically I wasn't much of a reader, especially bad with graphic novels? Well, this one's got pictures, so no, I I know. He 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 already said he doesn't like the pictures either. Comic books are so hard for my brain. We've talked about this on the show before, but like, it's just that. I didn't read them as a kid, and they're just too a little too frenetic to look at, and I just can't figure out how to read them. You don't get the I mean, language. It takes a lot of work. I yeah, mean, I just I, feel like there's a language I didn't learn when I was learning languages, well, and so it's very difficult. That's interesting because kind of this conversation is sort of going all over the place. But one of the things right. about Watchmen that's really interesting is the um, the structure of Watchmen. So Watchmen isn't like. You know, a lot of comic books have like big splash pages and stuff like that. Watchmen is very specifically almost every page is a three by three grid. Hmm. Uh, so it, okay. it very rarely um, deviates from that formula. So a okay. lot of the stuff that kind of comes with comics and being confusing to read, like which way am I supposed to be looking at this page? Because it has like images within images with panels within that. Watchmen is is so specifically set in this grid so that when it does like cuts from one location to another, the way pages can mirror each other, um, it's very meticulously laid out. So Watchmen is actually, I think, an easier entry point uh, than a lot of other comics. Well, that's on my, I have them and I've been meaning to do that. And so that's on my shorter list. I don't know if you've heard this, Alex, but Watchmen is a very good book. Uh, I know a lot of people (laughs) won't go to bat for Watchmen, but I don't know if you get a chance. Maybe check it out. A little indie book, maybe. This company, DC and Alan Moore really need some more uh, fans out there. Yeah, Alan Moore, I'm sure, would love more fans. He's very much (laughs) like his fans, I think. Anthony, what else have you watched this week? Uh, I, I'll be pretty quick with this, but this kind of ties back. Uh, I got very excited when Hunter was saying he loves sleep, uh, <laughs> because the movie I watched this week was, uh, I got around to seeing Dr. Sleep finally watched oh, that. Right. Yeah, good things. Um, if you don't know what Dr. Sleep is, it's this a, is a sequel ad- adapted from a Stephen King novel, um, by Mike Flanagan, who's become kind of, it's, it's weird. There's certain directors who just like love adapting Stephen King works like him and Frank Darabont uh, just do a lot. So this is like his fourth or fifth King adaptation, which is pretty wild. Yeah, that's, Um, that's incredible. But it is, I have not read the book. I, you know, obviously love the shining book and I love the Kubrick movie. They're very different beast. Uh, And Dr. Sleep is an interesting movie. I really enjoy the cast to it. So as you and McGregor, um, and who who plays Rosie the Hat? Uh, Rebecca uh, Ferguson. Rebecca. Yeah, yeah, she, who's absolutely great in it. Um, I really enjoyed the first two thirds of the movie. Uh, the last act, it uh, you know, in the last act, if you don't, if really want to know, no spoilers. Skip ahead fifteen seconds. But basically, the last act, they go to the Overlook Hotel. This is not in the book, apparently, but. It's kind of interesting because, you know, Stephen King very famously hates the Kubrick novel, a movie for all the things it changes. This yeah. seeks in a way to fix those changes. And it actually works oh. in this really novel way where both the movie and the book are canon. Uh, so it kind of like works with both of them. Uh, oh, interesting. It's sort of an uh, like a apology yeah. sort of thing, trying to mix them up. Yeah, a little bit. And, and also, so my problem is I don't mind them going there. Uh, my biggest problem with it is the movie really is like, 
it's pretty fun. It's not super scary or anything. It has some pretty, you know, harrowing scenes, especially because, you know, it involves children violence, uh, mm-hmm. violence against children. Uh, and there's some pretty, you know, messed up sequences in there. But my biggest problem is once it kind of gets to the final location, it's just sort of really, there's like a 10 minute tour when it's like, hey, remember this sequence? Remember we, this set? We for this whole hotel, so yeah. you're going to enjoy um, it. And it's just, you know, it just really kind of, like, it feels like it serves no purpose. And I know it's not in the book, um, the exact set or anything like that. Uh, so it just feels like it's there for sort of, like, fanfare. And it just really stops the movie in its tracks. So uh, let me ask you this, Anthony. So the, mo- so the, um, the book... Doctor Sleep came out in 2013. Mm-hmm. The original novel came out in 77. So this is one of those super late sequels. But it's also this like when he wrote the first one, he was like going through a lot of stuff, is my understanding. Yeah, I mean that's and most I, of Stephen King's early career. Well, that's true. So I'm assuming he's not in 2013. So like, can you tell from this? Like, does he feel like a guy who's 40 years older? and way less on drugs. Well, I haven't read the book. I have read a lot of modern Stephen King, because I do, like, uh, I don't, I'm not, like, a huge, uh, loyal King reader, but every, you know, the guy's so prolific, every four or five years, one of his books will rise to the top, and people like, this is very good. So I've read, like, 112263, Under the Dome, um, and a few other of his more recent novels, but I have not read Doctor Sleep, so I don't really know. But, I mean, from what I get from, like, what this movie... Because this movie really deals with, um, oh my god, what is the kid's name? Jack Torrance is his dad, Danny. Uh, Danny, who's played by Ewan McGregor here. You know, it is like dealing with a lot of the ideas of like inheriting the sins of the father. And like alcoholism is obviously such a huge part of what Stephen King was bringing to The Shining when he was young. Uh, And now this this movie is really about a guy in recovery. Uh, trying to get those demons down and the way that like this sort of stuff um, can be so prevalent and drive you towards these darker parts of your personality you Mm. don't want so you can definitely feel the like you know uh, a guy who had real problems drinking you know guy famously doesn't remember writing like Cujo at all uh, just because he was doing so much drugs and drinking Um, right naughty boy yeah, and then, you know, he almost dies, gets up to painkillers, and finishes the Dark Tower in the crazy way he does, and then gets sober <laughs> again. It's just such an interesting story with drugs and substances and influencing your work with that guy. Um, but yeah, overall, I would say it's a good sit. I definitely think it loses a lot of its um, its edge and sort of its... Uh, the way it moves. I also, this is like a really small thing that's hard to see, uh, hard to understand if you haven't seen the movie, but if you see it, I think you'll understand this. I have never felt, ever seen a movie in which you had like literal kid murdering energy vampires and actually (laughs) kind of felt bad for them because they are the most inefficient, shitty, (laughs) they just destroyed so, it's, it's wild. No, no, the the they eat kids. These are old. Oh, okay. Energy yeah, yeah. vampires. Yeah, uh, yeah. The hyphens in the sentence are going to affect greatly what. But they yeah, mean. they uh, you really you they really set them up as being incredibly scary, and then the mo- way the movie deals with them, which is a very Stephen King thing, is kind of like swerving when you don't expect it. Um, 
But I actually was like, okay, hey, come on, you guys put up a little bit more of a fight. For this. this is so embarrassing. <laughs> um, I'm going to tell you guys what I watched this week since we have kind of a horror theme. So uh, this weekend, my wife and I watched Zodiac. Oh, nice. Great movie. Um, totally good movie. Um, for uh, you know, it's I just feel including the Lawrence of Arabia, like we I just I've seen so many movies this year that don't have any women in them at all. Mm-hmm. And it's um, except for in this case, when they're about to be murdered. And that's pretty depressing. But uh, generally, really uh, terrific movie. And it's something I did not I, something I did not know a lot about Zodiac mm. story. And and it, it seems to be pretty faithful to real events. Yeah. And it was and really interesting. And um, that like the tagline of the movie is like, there's more than one way a killer can take your life. And mm-hmm. <laughs> it, that's like one of the best taglines I've ever that's heard a for a movie that's about really smart. people going crazy chasing the serial killer. It's really, really good. Yeah. But the reason I watched it right now um, is because um, it's not because I got him confused with the uh, um, Golden State Killer. That is, that's not why. Um, although it'd be a reasonable guess right now for like California serial killers in the news oh, this sure, week. Sure. But what happened was, you guys may remember a couple weeks ago, I told you this a couple months ago now, back in April, May, I told you this, the story of how I got caught, almost got conned here in town. I got attempted con. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that was Where awesome. the guy said that my wheel was wobbly and he claimed to fix it and then asked for $250. I was telling that story to a friend and she was like, oh, like the Zodiac Killer. Oh. And I had not seen the movie and did not know what that was about. And so uh, she was like, well, now you have to watch it. And so I watched it and there's this scene where the he gets a woman into his car for the purposes of serial killing her by pulling up next to her on the highway saying her wheel was wobbly like exactly the same thing she pulls over it what he did was he said you know he actually like just broke it while she was waiting instead of pretending to fix it and then when she tried to drive away it the car fell apart and so he had to give her a ride and then he's like i'm gonna kill you and your baby and then she now i will say she does if you haven't seen the movie this isn't it's not the main thrust thrust of it but she does get away and that's what happened in real life too is like this woman was in a car the guy said he was going to kill her and her baby and she with a, a pregnant woman with a baby dove out of the car on the highway and like she managed to roll in such a way that her and her her child were both okay and she got away and it's it's such an intense story um, and like kind of wish we'd spent more time like with her than all the other dudes. But anyway, the point is my lighthearted story about how a guy pretended my wheel was wobbly and tried to get $250 and it turned out fine is so much more terrifying now. Mm-hmm. Right? Like this is a Zodiac killer move. And uh, I don't, what I, I mean, what I really want to know is did the guy who tried to con me, Nick Stanley, formerly of Houston, Texas and of Michigan, did he see Zodiac? Was he inspired by this? Does he know about this? Or is he going to be like, they stole my thing. That was my thing. I have no idea. I don't know. The phone number he gave me uh, is fake. So I can't actually tell you. A fake uh, phone number. Well, I mean, it was like, he never, I mean, he's not responding to my questions. So I assume it was not real. You should try call it again, though. Because I mean, <laughs> there's actually not such a thing as a fake phone number. It's it's good for something. You right. Know? If it doesn't have 555. Yeah. I, I'm just going to call someone else. I really love having this conversation about Zodiac uh, because one, I, I, I'm a big fan of all of David Fincher's movies. Um, but one of the things I really yeah, love I about I too, which I can't say about a lot of directors, but he's if he's very good. Yeah, again, David Fincher, uh, very very <laughs> talented young gentleman, right there. Um, <laughs> but uh, one of the things that I love about Zodiac, I love sort of talking. Some of you who don't know a lot about the case is what I 
have always been struck at by Zodiac, and I'm always fascinated when filmmakers sort of do this type of thing. Is I've always felt that in a way Zodiac is an apology um, for his previous works in a way. Like the way oh. that like Seven is a movie that is like incredibly influential yeah. on like the serial killer genre, right? And yeah. Post Seven is another one of those movies or like things like Lost where it's just like every movie had a credit sequence exactly like Seven that involved serial killers after it. The yeah. like really detailed serial killer notebook stuff, all these tropes and like glorifying serial killers and right. things like that became such a huge part of a culture after that movie and what i've always been amazed of by zodiac is that it's this movie about um the these people but especially jake gyllenhaal who ruins his entire life yeah. uh, obsessed over this giant nerd this shitty pathetic man yeah. who steals his logo from a watch yeah. uh had spent like a day in the library to work on this fake pup this you know not very yeah. clever puzzle yeah. Um, the way it's actually, I think, a very, like, harsh um, sort of deconstructing and, like, turning the mirror on people who are obsessed with serial killers and the way our society glorifies them and makes myths out of them to, like, juxtapose that with, like, the sad, pathetic man behind it yeah. and the lives that he ruins just through a sort of cultural obsession with him. I just think it's such an interesting take on that. Assuming, sort of yeah, assuming that, that he is right about who it is. Um, I mean, not that the person is like whoever it is is pathetic, but it, it there was like a DNA thing a couple, like not even that long ago, that kind of exonerated the person who this movie is positive it is. Um, so there's kind of that weird afterthought, but yeah, hundred percent. It's such an interesting take on that. Um, I will say though, when I was saying before that I thought I liked all of David Fincher's movies, it's not true. Social net- network can eat my asshole. Everything else he's made <laughs> is very good um, that I've seen. Uh, but I, boy, did I hate the social network! What a flaming piece of garbage that movie was. Just I like worst. it. I haven't seen um, it in a long time. It's but it's the worst. All right, so we have to get going because not only is it um, you know, we could like wrap up the podcast right now it's been a good amount of time for a podcast mm-hmm. but yeah. we have to start talking about but this is the an longest epic, movie ever this made. is supposed yeah. to be an epic episode of the show yeah, we're gonna do a four minute intermission where we play the overture again and then we're gonna start talking about it <laughs> so this week we're talking about the four hour epic film lawrence <laughs> of arabia four hours it's, it's close like 352 what is 346 it? Including a ten-minute intermission and an eight-minute overture. So you know you're right. That's not that bad. It yeah. did take us two days to get through, but um, we, we which I think that's a better way to watch episodes. it. I think watching it in one go was kind of bad for me. I wish I had. Interesting. I, I, I don't. I, I don't loved know. watching it in one go. I did not <laughs> stop watching it once I started. So I we have different we have different patience levels, Anthony, because you frequently. You you've told me that you and your wife will do like a double header movie night, and that idea is like oh I do my I love I, that that's my great. wife and I almost never watch two TV episodes in the same night. Like I just don't have that kind of sitting power. You, not even now. You don't even have that now. You don't have anything to do. I know for a fact you don't have anything to do. I know, I know for a fact. I know. None of us have like, anything oh, to do. We should get up and move around a little bit. Switch to the switch from the couch to the bed when read a read something on my phone instead of watching a movie. I mean, like I'm still sitting. It's just. Uh, I think the two hours made the two chunks might not have been a good way to watch this because I felt very differently about the two halves, but I don't know oh, if that would have been different if I'd watched it consecutively. Um, 
Whew, sorry, there's fireworks going off because, you know, it's the middle of the afternoon on a Wednesday. Why wouldn't there be? Mm-hmm. Um, right, right. Okay. So... 1962, Lawrence of Arabia, um, selected by me, kind of. Um, so I surprisingly, <laughs> well, it's just okay. Well, but again, this is why I said said kind of because um, it w- it was my suggestion, but it was also accepted after like 14 vetoes from you guys of other things I wanted to watch. So it's sort of like well, so. My no, I'll, I'll tell you why I was interested in suggesting it. I just want to just clarify. It was your suggestion that was roundly approved and then you suggested 14 other things right that those are okay but you're making it sound like that was the same meeting those were separate meetings i forgot you'd liked this idea yes okay anyway i'll tell you my ideas and then my okay i'm gonna tell you why i suggested it and you guys tell me why it was approved when other things were not um i uh i'm not sure it's just one of those movies that sort of like started popping up on my consciousness and then was referenced a few other times mm-hmm. and um like my wife and i started wa- i told you we finished um uh the civil war so we started watching the vietnam war um mm-hmm. the, the documentary not the war um it sounds like we're just like well, let's go check out this war <laughs> um, just, we hopped in my time machine and we, yeah. we went to a war that's yeah, what we, we wanted, wanted to, to watch do. what it was like no we yeah. uh yeah we were we're doing the second ken burns war movie mm-hmm. um and we're he doing didn't it burn you enough on that first one that you don't. He burned me. St- he burns me so hard, and the, we were skeptical. We watched some something else in between, but we were like, I just don't know anything about Vietnam, and I feel like I should. And I thought maybe it would be different. And it, it most, I mean, we've only watched the first episode, and it's different some. But he also opened like his opening is like the war was continued by different politicians who all had pure hearts on both sides of the <laughs> aisle, and I just don't know. <laughs> What the fuck are you talking about? Pure hearted presidents. Like that's not it's not this is not a political statement. That's not how they work. That's, that's not, not yeah, that's that's wow. I don't I do not you cannot convince me that the Vietnam War was fought entirely by people with good intentions. That's insane. Um so anyway, he still might be kind of crappy, but also I think I'm learning enough already about the history of Southeast Asia that it's probably worth it. Vietnam but, also has that dope ass uh, Trent Reznor soundtrack, yeah. So that that's going to coast well, you by a lot. On I'm that. a little bit worried that it's just going to be because the um, uh, the Civil War is just the same three songs over and over and over again for 12 hours. So I'm a little bit worried that we're going to hear um, "Hard Rain" is going to fall every 10 minutes for the rest of this movie. But we'll <laughs> see. I haven't gotten that far yet. Hey, licensing is expensive. Okay, it's they're <laughs> not going to just give that out for free. But especially I for I a war that movie. movie I'm not trying to stretch my segment. I mentioned that movie because um, they make re- like they reference in the guerrilla war tactics of the Viet Minh. They reference they're doing it like Lawrence of Arabia style. Um, yeah. And I was I had no idea what that was about. Sure. And it, it's just so it's just it's one of those things where it's like once I somebody mentioned it and a second person mentioned it and now I'm seeing it everywhere. So I've been mm-hmm. kind of wanting to hear about it. And like I said last week, I don't know anything about the Middle Eastern theater of World War One. This is actually a theme of 2020 to me as I realized I don't know anything about anything. And so I'm trying to learn all of it <laughs> well, at once. We're all it's in time out. You're like, I want to learn stuff. I'm trying to learn everything at the same time. I don't know if it's going to work. Um, but anyway, that's why I was interested in it. What about you guys? Why did you, Hunter, you go first. Why did you re- um, respond yeah, to this when so- I mentioned it? Uh, well, I mean, I just know it's just a classic movie. It's kind of like a, like a no duh classic movie. And you've um, seen it before or not? No. So, so what, it, what, what happened was it was, it was part of a class I took 
that was like I took a I took a really interesting film class that was like American film from like 1932 to 1964 and I was like did you just pick random years like <laughs> but but this was this was one of the movies we watched toward obviously towards the end of the I I can remember that it was towards the end of the semester now so that's good um but I I like we watched it over a couple class periods and I re- I remember I was kind of like not necessarily feeling it or I don't know what was going on in my life at the time. Maybe I was like depressed and I was just like, fuck class, man. I'm not going. I don't even care if it's a film class. I'm not going. That's like what I would have been like at the time. Oh, uh, man, that's sad. Oh, whatever. Uh, I got over it. Dumbest. <laughs> uh, I can. I can now I can make fun of myself from 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 here. Um, that's true. But yeah, uh, I think I saw like uh, the middle of the first part, like what would have been the second class. Uh, of watching it and then i think that's it and i think it was like four class periods worth of movie because there's a lot of meat on the bone this one yeah so um now that you're feeling um less sad and you can make fun of yourself for it you could get your get through the whole movie oh yeah i totally i, I totally got through it definitely it's just i think it's an interesting so like i don't know where to start with it um Obviously, well, let's I'm, start with the three sentence summary of the movie. Yes, That's where we have do to start. It, do it, do it. Um, so, and for for a movie that is almost three hours or almost four hours, let me give you a pretty short three sentence summary. Lieutenant Lawrence is some guy in the British Army who does shitty magic tricks. <laughs> he gets sent to check up on the Arab uprising, and so he rides a camel across the most beautiful desert I've ever seen. Yeah. Intermission. All right, and then um, he decides to promote himself to leader of the Arab uprising, and it works mostly, but at great cost to his mental health. That's the movie. Yeah, and um, as a, I guess, and then there's like as a postscript, there's this thing that we actually saw at the beginning of the movie, which is he dies on a motorcycle accident because he only wore tiny helmets over his eyes instead of over his whole head, like you should. (laughs) Just those little eye helmets. Did you know that the death of T. E. Lawrence is what? started the chain reaction that pop that made motorcycle helmets a thing i didn't know that that's funny no. made that joke, yeah actually. the reason why he wasn't wearing a helmet is because helmets weren't a thing back then it was wow. uh a guy who was um had something no to kidding. do with like like after the death of t lawrence inspired him to look into basically the ralph nader of helmets um <laughs> You know, Wait, in what way? Well, he, you know, Ralph Nader's like biggest thing to fame is that he made seatbelts a thing. Yeah. Oh, yeah, I thought he, his biggest thing was not being president a few no, times. No, right. That, that's something later in life. <laughs> oh, but, okay. No, Ralph Nader is like the reason he made why seatbelts. Yeah, what I'm saying. Reason, I don't know anything about anything. He, he was a very, very important figure in like um, human like human rights and all all this sort of stuff. But like also like consumer safety. But yeah, like he's the reason why we have seatbelts. Um, but yeah, it was the same thing. Crazy. People just did not wear helmets because it wasn't a thing people really thought about. And the death of T. Lawrence inspired this guy to collect enough data to prove, hey, this is pretty dangerous. We should have helmets. And that's why we have motorcycle helmets. That's amazing. Um, and they're uh, still optional in some places. Um, yeah, crazy. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that's just a very weird little. What a fun, what an interesting fact. So, yeah, so I mean, this is a, another movie that is like. It seems like relatively accurate to real events. It's yeah. just not super illuminating on them, is yeah. I guess my feeling of well, it. I mean, there's definitely a lot of sort of controversy about certain things with this yeah. man's life, and there's certain you know like 
um, the way certain sort of characters are portrayed and a lot of composite characters and things like that. Yeah, um, which is which is fine and normal for a movie. I like I read the historical accuracy page in my wiki hole and it like is it's it basically was like yeah, sometimes they move the geography around to make it easier some composite characters. And then there's like four paragraphs about whether or not he was gay. So it yeah. just feels like maybe the accuracy of it is not about the stuff that I care about a lot. Yeah, it's about sure, other sure. incidental things. Well, yeah, I like mean, his what, brother didn't like it, but it doesn't sound like he has any like real solid reasons to. Yeah, and you, know, well, yeah like you might not like it. And you may, maybe Lawrence wouldn't like it if he saw it because it wasn't how he wanted to be. But but to, like the the toughest massacre and the Sykes-Picot agreement and like the actual things from the war seem pretty true generally and the fact that just like some like okay lieutenant in the army just in the british army just decided to leave and run the arab rebellion against the turkish empire is real and is fucking crazy it yeah. is crazy yeah very i mean crazy. so with my experience with this movie i had never seen it before that's part of why i sort of voted for it uh it's yeah. one of those movies that you know, it is obviously such a classic you hear about, you know, like it's Steven Spielberg's favorite film and like yeah. most mm. important film on his sort that of. That makes sense to me, actually. And it's one of those movies that I, it's amazing how much I've seen of it through like if you are watching uh, sort of things on film techniques about like the use of Technicolor or specifically match cuts. This movie has so many match cuts that I've seen. In so, so many different things about like here's how here's a great example of this technique being used. I'm uh, just gonna just just for people who don't know what you're talking about. I have also never heard the term match cut, but I think I know what you mean from the title and from noticing it in this movie, which is where like you go from a match, you, you see a match in his hand, and it cuts from there to a light bulb in about the same place as right. that match, and then pulls back. Is that it? Exactly. Yeah, yes. literally, it's, it's a, a match, yeah. baby, and it's a yeah, cut. So. Oh, so that was a match, like match most, cut. Oh, yeah, a match, yeah. match cut. <laughs> Probably like the most, you know, the most famous one in cinema history is like the bone to the spaceship in 2001, right? Yeah. Like that's probably like the prime example. But the specifically the one with the match to the rising sun is that's one of the, the sun, most not famous. A light bulb. Yeah, yeah, yeah. One of the most <laughs> well, the sun, the sun is a big light bulb. Yeah, that's okay. It's the biggest match. Um, yeah. Well, although... We don't have like there's so many bigger things to talk about, but man, his thing about putting out fire, I know it's a metaphor, but that is the worst trick I've ever seen someone do. He's like, I take a match and then I just touch it with my fingers. It's It's the worst. And they make him do it a bunch of time. I get it's a metaphor. It's not really a trick either. It's not really a metaphor as much as I think it's a a very interesting way about showing who this character is. So that was my biggest takeaway from this movie is that I guess I forgot that it was made in the sixties. Like for some reason, when I think of the Hollywood epic, right. I think of stuff, you know, yeah. uh, The thirties, you know, stuff. Ten commandments. Commandments. Exactly. Um, a, A lot of sort of Cecil B. DeMille's films. And what I was really surprised by this movie is that it has, a lot of that sort of 60s deconstruction and grit to it. Like, I thought the portrayal of T.E. Lawrence, like, I was expecting a much fluffier, sort of, like, very clean veneer take on the character. But instead, it's this, like, he's this real weird kook who (laughs) who goes from, like, 
being this wide-eyed optimist into believing that he is, you know, a god, into believing he is Moses, into believing he is just a sad, broken, ordinary man. Mm -hmm. And they do that through, like, the way they play with his, you know, sort of sexuality and asexuality, you know, is what's kind of commonly thought of as what he was, as a sort of asexual being. But these very sort of dark, masochistic tendencies, like, to me, that's what the match thing shows. Like, he is a masochist. He enjoys pain and suffering okay, so, so this was actually worth worth the time to go into so i'm yeah. glad we did it just to, so, just to let people know at home what we're talking about and we haven't seen it is that he he does this as if it's a magic trick he holds a match and then he just puts it out by pinching it and then his friend and tries it and it's like ouch it hurts and he's like yeah, of course it hurts the trick is not caring that it hurts yeah so well, it is clearly what well, not metaphor is the wrong word but it is a like character establishing like kind of on the nose statement of his values. Um, yeah, and this where he is in this life. And, you know, by the end of the movie, through bloody violence, you know, a I, my, my wife and I were like, was that an implied sexual assault? But by the end of the movie, we were like, no, that was just a straight up sexual assault. He right, goes right. Uh, and that is like a thing he wrote a lot about. Um, and there's all these sort of like, the way it sort of takes this character and pits him through this ringer. And I think like using that as like the way this movie is, it's a, it's a Hollywood epic. It's also like a detailed character study. It's also like a very interesting film. I think about like it do sort of, I don't know if this was intentional at the time, but I thought like what I took from it is it's the story of this colonizer realizing that the colonizers cannot free the colonized. It's something they have to do by themselves, right? And, like, this journey he has to go on to that, you know? And, like, this him becoming... Yeah. Essentially becoming a god for a little bit, as he believes himself to be, realizing he is just a man and a pawn being used by, like, these systems that are in place... I do uh, want to come back to this colonialism as being like an important issue that we're going to talk about in our next segment. But since we're just talking about this match cut, I want to offer what I have just learned on accident um, is a um, uh, a nominee for Employee of the Month, which is Anne Coates, who was the editor of this film, who won mm-hmm. an Oscar for editing for this film, mm-hmm. um, who uh, died two years ago at 92. Um, she... Uh, had uh had heck of a task ahead of her with this movie um director david lean shot more than 33 miles of film (laughs) that she had to turn into a only obscenely long movie and that's Uh, technical of film so that's three different versions of each oh shit you know jesus christ another thing about this movie is like the the technical stuff to it i mean this is like a movie ass movie this is like a true hollywood epic this is like i was there's just so much shot in every shot of the movie that it was just like my whole time i was like there's these you know quarter mile long omis moving through the desert and after every shot i was like when he said cut somebody had to go and remove all those footprints yeah fuck like there's just so much stuff like that in this movie uh, and yeah. man, Technicolor is so... I don't know how you guys watched it. For some reason, I own a Blu-ray of this. I don't know where it came from or why I have it. It's yeah, fascinating. Never seen it. I don't even know how I got it. 
Uh, <laughs> but watching this in super pristine, high quality, uh, just the way the colors pop and like that that thing that like Technicolor is a pain in the ass and it's like mm-hmm. no, no one would ever shoot a movie like that anymore because I don't think you can't even like process that type of film anymore. Um, but just what they did and how this film looks, it's so incredibly breathtakingly gorgeous. It, it's, it is so beautiful. Um, it, it's, a, it's a real wide movie. It's a real thick movie. Yes, 70 um, millimeter. It's in 70, which I would love yeah. to see in a 70 screen. Yeah, um, I was just about to say, I would watch it in a heartbeat at a movie theater. Like, I would yeah, watch it I mean, tonight our, if I could. Our yeah. TV is like, is a pretty decent size and we sit too close to it because our apartment's not very big. So we get a pretty wide screen experience, but yeah, I would love to see it in full in a place in 70 because it's so wide. And the first half of the movie is like 80% just marveling at this video footage, the cinematography of this desert. It's just so incredibly beautiful. And you basically just watch for an hour and a half. People ride camels in this beautiful desert and not fall. People get off camels in the coolest way. I oh, mean, man, the camel is so like horses. Like you have to jump onto with like a you put a little step halfway to get on it uh, that you you hang on. The, the camel is like allow me. <laughs> yeah, I, you know, a lot of people talk about you know the well scene is one of those scenes that's always talked about, but I've never really seen it before. So it's like while that sequence was going on with like the the guy coming out of the mirage and uh, the way. Just the whole way that scene is set up. Omo Sharif has maybe the most badass, amazing introduction to a character I've ever yeah, seen he's, in the movie. He's fucking cool. Uh, the way the camel like sits and he just has his legs crossed and the, he gets off. It's just, it's the most stunning thing I have ever seen in a movie. Uh, it's so well. it's so amazing. Um, just to like go back to the second. For, when we're talking about the cut, though, the reason why I brought up Anne Coates not just because she edited this whole thing, but also she is the one who made that famous match to sunrise cut that like the script oh, called right. for a yes, dissolve yes, yes, yes. and she tried the dissolve and she hated it and so she made it into this hard cut that is like now one of the most famous cuts in movies so anyway good job Anne. um yeah so the first half i think this is how i wanted to talk about it the first half is just this incredible so many camels which i and i it was the 60s not the 20s so i'm not sure i'm not positive that hundreds of camels died making this movie but i kind of assume so um i was afraid to google it but it's just I mean, there's that there's that stampede scene in the second part where i was oh, like yeah. oh yeah i don't see, know man oh, <laughs> we see some horses fall and they hate that and um oh it's so sad um but just just camels and desert and it's like it's like a road trip movie of this guy across some deserts and there's quicksand which is sad but also like I love any movie with quicksand and um, <laughs> well, you know how like when we were like cartoons, like quicksand is like every yeah, other yeah, yeah. cartoon. And then in real life, you almost never fall in quicksand. Right. Like, right. I feel like I've read, I've read more times different people describing how to survive quicksand than I have heard or seen actual quicksand exist anywhere. Like I just don't. And, and I did go on a little tangent about whether or not it's possible to have desert dry quicksand and science agrees. Probably not. Um, but uh, anyway, just a great road trip movie with quicksand. Some people live, some people die in the way of all road trip movies. One of the things that helps the hero is that he's nicer to somebody than you'd expect. Right. And then that person is super helpful later. It's just a great road trip trope. Um, and it's got all the trip tropes. And then the second half of the movie, as he um, as Anthony says, like makes this journey from he becomes a god and then he like 
kind of comes back from that. Um, I just, the second half of it was so much less fun and also just more confusing to me. I feel like I did not follow his emotional journey as clearly. And that just like, as always, Anthony, that description that you gave of his character makes so much more sense to me than what I experienced. So like, I don't know if like all the things were there and I just didn't catch it. The movie is kind of mumbly, although it is visually beautiful. The audio recording is not quite as good as I'd like. Um, but your description is of his character arc is so good. Did I miss those signposts or are you really good at reading? Uh, I mean, I think it's a bit of both. I mean, I don't know if it's necessarily like I'm very good. I mean, like I definitely think it's there. I mean, the movie sort of goes out of its way with like interesting visual metaphors. So like, I really love like watching it. There's like this interesting journey of this like pistol throughout the movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That, like it's this thing he gives away as like a man of peace to like this guy the guy gets killed the killer takes the gun he takes the gun back when he kills this other guy and then like throughout the rest of the movie when he's like essentially taking part in these atrocities and these mm-hmm. essentially war crimes you know you yeah. see him with that pistol um you know like the so, scene oh, so he's, he's repossessing it as like the his his violent soul is taking over again yeah, or stuff like when you know, he's on top of the train and that guy's like unloading at him and he's yeah. just completely unfazed because he literally perceives himself as a god at that point. Right? So That's that was, like, I mean, what a be- fascinating scene where he gets shot and doesn't give a shit. Right. I just didn't understand why no one else gave a shit. I mean, I know you're like responding to his response the way like a kid looks at your face and if you seem concerned, then, they, then they're hurt. Sure, if sure. you don't seem concerned, yeah. they're fine. But like, he was visibly bleeding and not a, there's like 200 people around him who worship him and not one of them applied pressure to that wound. And it just seems yeah, like I someone mean, the, would but be the like, wound, the just, wound didn't look overly impressive either. It's not like it, well, I mean, it, to me, saw it, but in the time it, he was very bleeding and bleeding on white robes, you know, it just spreads a lot. I thought it was dramatic looking. Maybe yeah. I'm just more afraid of blood than you. Yeah, no, I mean, I'm a tough guy, you know, that's, that's yeah. what we I just feel like just apply a little pressure, just hold it, Yeah, just push a little bit. You know, also, adrenaline's raising pretty high at that point, you're not really For sure. everybody, yeah. There's yeah. a yeah, train like over. I also feel like that whole, that whole thing with the train where he gets shot was like, they like blow up a train, shoot a few bullets into it, and they're like, I'm sure we got everybody, and then they put away their guns and run in to steal stuff. It just felt like they didn't do a great job of clearing the scene first, and so... It's guerrilla warfare, man. You gotta, you get in, you get out, you know? You know, Uh, I mean, here's, I mean, maybe here's my first, and we're gonna start start to transition into some things that are more concerns, but one of my things that's problematic about this movie is that it makes guerrilla warfare look hella fun. (laughs) Well, wait... (laughs) I'm no, sorry, I, I totally thought you were going in a different direction. I was surprised. <laughs> Listen, I'm just wanna I I mean, I think it's time to call out guerrilla warfare on Twitter. A kind of hashtag guerrilla warfare, really? Yeah. Really? It's, not, it's, it's not problematic. Right. Yeah, I mean, don't ever watch the movie Red Dawn, Alex. You're gonna really be like, oh, I was just hours of that was such a left me. turn of a statement. I have I was completely I was like, all right, here we go. I'm ready. And then you were like, guerrilla warfare. I think it's a problem. I don't know that the movie is trying to, I mean, I don't know if it's the most glorify violence movie I've seen. I don't know if that's a problem this movie has. I Do you feel like it glorifies I guess this is what I'm trying to say with my hilarious left turn um, was that um, I guess I just don't, I don't feel the, the movie's uh, tone 
about these events well enough to understand yeah. like I like this is the craziest thing that's ever happened. Mm-hmm. And the movie seems to be like anyway, isn't that fucked up? Yeah, here's a motorcycle. <laughs> it just felt like so like the the um the like the, for the first most of the movie he is like the white savior of the Arabian Peninsula. And it really does make blowing up trains and stealing clocks seem like a fucking good time. Yeah. And and then the atrocity is like we do see the one uh, intense war crime, which was his response to a war crime, which I mean, doesn't make it, you know, two wrongs, you know, but two um, wrongs don't make it right. Right. But, but also it is still... a movie about war. So, I mean. <laughs> Well, but is sort of a movie about a pacifist who does a lot of war and then f- maybe feels bad, or but like he doesn't want to do war because he likes it too much. Yeah, and can can, can yeah. I try and shift this just slightly? I'm going to shift it in a just slight direction because I, I the my take on this movie is that I think as a big epic historical drama movie, more in line with Ten Commandments, I think it it succeeds in being that type of movie. Mm-hmm. It's really the character study stuff that I feel like doesn't resonate as well with me. And, and actually a character study, especially of somebody like T. Lawrence, who I think you could kind of cast in a million different lights, depending yeah. on what your point of view is uh, on, on the man. Uh, I, I feel like the character study stuff doesn't feel as like sure footed to me. And it does feel like maybe some of the people that made this didn't really care about that part of it. And I would say even just by virtue of the fact that there's an entire, entire, uh, well over half the movie, because part one I think is longer than part two, uh, really doesn't feature any of that at at all. I mean, I guess it, it, it does kind of lay the groundwork for it just because we get to know the character, but it does feel like the movie kind of shifts into a slightly different genre Mm-hmm. Uh, that I feel like maybe doesn't work as much for me. Like I, I agree with that. I read something interesting about this movie where somebody was like, "This could have been a little more like, um, oh, uh, what's that uh, Paul Anderson movie? Paul Thomas Anderson movie with uh, the oil guy? There will, uh, there will be blood. There will be blood. I got it first. I got it first. Yeah. Somebody mentioned that movie. They were like, this could have been a little more like that. And the second they said that, I was like, I kind of would have liked, I think, something like that. Because I actually feel like T. Lawrence is like, and everything going on, basically everyone in this movie kind of has like a moral gray area they are occupying. Um, There's a lot of like, it's unclear whether people know about stuff. Like there's a part where T. Lawrence is like, just give me your word that you guys aren't going to double cross my Arab friends. And but it it feels kind of hollow. Like it's like it feels like he should know that. Of course, he's just saying that because literally the general that tells him like, "Oh, I give you my word." Right before he gives him his word, he also says like, "Oh, I don't really have the authority to do that, anyways." Yeah. For some reason, T. Lawrence goes along with that. Yes. Like. Yes. Yeah. I mean, I think that that? it's it's a a part of like what they were trying to do, and with a movie like this, you know, there are just certain. realisms especially of the time and like when you're trying to this movie it feels like to me they set out to make a historical hollywood epic first and then worked every kind of backwards from that right like they wanted the big huge scale thing and kind of find like a simple story to it that's why i thought like the story of like really like what this movie kind of you're looking for like mythology or like 
biblical history or something like that. Like the story of Moses is the one sure. that I feel yeah, like yeah. very much will like, okay, what it, who is who is he closest to in the in the Bible, right? Yeah, Moses, yeah. Right? He's he's a man of two worlds. You know, he has two sort of different things pulling on him like Moses. He leads these people, but at the end doesn't get to enjoy the promised land like Moses does. You know, mm-hmm. Moses doesn't get to go in with them because of his right. his sins. So it feels very much like they're kind of starting with like, okay, big Hollywood epic. We're going to pit the sort of the, the bones of like the basic Moses story there. And then we're going to layer what we know about this guy on top of it. So yeah. it feels like the like I, I get what you're saying, and I think you're right, and that would certainly be a more interesting, nuanced movie for him. But it feels like they had a very specific sort of thing that they were trying to do and succeeding at that rather than doing anything else, you know? I, I, I also think it's very similar to the Ten Commandments in that I liked the first half of the Ten Commandments and then the second half was pretty boring. Um, <laughs> also the brown face I think is a also similarity. the brown face is very similar yeah we're yeah. Um, so we're getting close to that segment the other I guess I just want to uh, my feeling on the character study of Lawrence is that like he might be the most interesting person who's ever lived and given the story and I just I felt so abandoned by un- the the movie in explaining w- how he got here because all we see before he goes off to the peninsula is that he um touches a match he like falls a couple times in the mess hall and people don't like him that much he's like kind of a goofy boy and then he shows up in a in in arabia and he's like brilliant witty incredible fortitude physically and emotionally um he has a lot of deep he's had a lot of thoughts on the 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 people, uh, the the Arab people fighting against the Turkish government, like he has thoughts on Arab independence that he's I just like, where did any of that come from? He's like the most brilliant person. You know, he's he's having this conversation with the prince where all we've seen so far is a goofball who rode a camel for the first time. And then he's sitting down with the prince and he's like speaking Arabic, quoting the Quran and telling him his plans for the 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 people. And that is such a huge leap it's such a leap and so from then on i'm just like i just don't know like who who are you why are you like this okay well so i feel like this is a little there's a little bit of a genre problem here and there's a really telling thing i read uh i don't even remember where it was but it was something saying that in in the original screenplay that robert bolt uh wrote they the focus of the movie was more about the historical event of the Arab right. rebellion yeah and that it was later changed to be more about Lawrence specifically yeah. but i do feel like s- sometimes it is about the event in which case having a character that you know it's like we're it's not a case study necessarily if that if that is the type of movie it is uh, and it wouldn't really matter if there was a character that where oh, we don't know every little bit of their motivation. Like, I feel like that's part of the epicness of it because we have a lot of characters. We've got a lot of plot to cover and stuff. But it also feels like it tries to do the character stuff, too, which I think is what leads to the kind of questions that you have, Alex. Um, and I don't feel like I am quite I don't know if I'm like I, I think. I think the fact that this it's funny that uh, Anthony, you brought up the Ten Commandments, because I feel like there's a there's a big difference between when you're trying to do a a big epic drama 
about something, you know, that's like mythological in nature. This is like something historical that happened not even that long ago. And it honestly sets it's an event that kind of sets the stage for a lot of really nasty, bad stuff. So So it just feels weird. It's just like a weird thing for there to be this type of movie about, I think in general, like, yeah, I mean, I, I agree with that. I think it's, it's also the type of thing that's kind of the stuff that I found interesting about this movie was the stuff that is about sort of like the bigger world politics, like the introduction of like the journalist character who's mm-hmm. there to create a myth of yeah. a man. Right. Yeah. I loved that uh, actually. Like that to, kind in, or, of, in order to convince the Americans to join world war one. Yeah, yeah. So like that kind of stuff, I think is where the film is getting at um, some more interesting stuff that I think of this movie was made in the, 40s or the 30s it would not have gotten to right um but i i think to kind of back it up to sort of your earlier points about the character to me a lot of that stuff um kind of got washed away by just how eccentric and specific the performance by peter o'toole was yes um to me, it's a lot of things. I think that I would have a lot of those sort of same issues with a different performance. Mm-hmm. Uh, but there's something about uh, O'Toole in this movie that is so odd and weird. And yeah. like, yeah. there's a lot of like this, like, you know, the the opening scene when he's on the base is like a scene when he walks up to a pool table and like hits the balls and they adjust racked them. And it's just like, he like trips a lot, like you said, and he has just such this weird energy to it that to me, it really like, it it didn't necessarily cover those issues with me, but it like softened them enough that I was willing to go with it. It really is one of the best performances I've ever seen in the movie. It's so super, super weird and, and fascinating. And that's a big part of it. It's the weirdness, the specificity in how weird his performance is. Um, It to me is really helps um, sort of, like I said, to sort of cover up some of those issues for me. Okay. I want to cover one more thing in this next segment, but I just want to tell you a quick fun fact about Peter O'Toole that you may not have um, seen on the Wikipedia page. I'm not brilliant. I just noticed Um, uh, never ridden a camel before thought it was super uncomfortable so he bought a big piece of foam rubber to put on his saddle to make it more comfortable and um so uh the bedouin extras working on the film nicknamed him ab al isfanja um anyway meaning uh father of the sponge ah because he was always sitting on sponges yes i love they they gave him a very yes sponge daddy um they just gave him a very funny nickname for his wearing sponge all right cool second segment Third, third segment, last segment um, of this discussion. So, um, is this okay? Um, <laughs> the answer is no. So, Anyways, so let's move on. <laughs> at uh, at Proloman on Twitter, summed it up very nicely, I think, which is uh, when I tweeted about the movie. Uh, it is colonialist trash and also one of the most perfect examples of high cinema ever created. Both yeah. things are true at once. Yeah. Um, and I so, I just want to talk. I think it's just a great summary of it. But we should talk a bit about that part of it. Um, you know, so uh, like Alec Guinness it, as the as the Arab prince in brownface, um, one of many examples, but him so ridiculous, famously. so ridiculous that even in the movie itself, they have somebody like Omar Sharif 
but who's this, also brilliant in this movie. I love Omar Sharif's yeah, performance. Oh yeah, in this. he's great. What an interesting yeah. dude. He's so good. He's so good. But then like I just don't understand what the argument could have been for Alec Guinness. I just don't well, I, I don't get it I at mean, all. I, I mentioned this last uh I, I think this was after we recorded the podcast last week, but we were talking about this sort of issue. And to me it's 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 you know like it to me like it's a great example in the news today is like Jenny Slate no longer playing a black character on Big Mouth, right? Mm-hmm. It, it's right. like one, we're still doing this. Yeah, so yeah. It, it's not like we have a like a, it's it's weird to look back and judge and remove something um and sort of like knock it against it but to me it's very sure very much like jenny slate is like so what i imagine was with the makers of big mouth they were like you know who we like jenny she's a friend of ours right uh to me this is the same thing like you know who was really good in bridge over the river Kwai, my last movie and won right. an Oscar, alec guinness he's yeah, a he good guy with over he's in dr Giovago yeah. too yeah like, yeah yeah, yeah. like you know i work with him a lot uh He'll like, he'll be fine. He'll help us get financing. Right. right. Uh, and I'm not like, you know, I'm not trying to justify it or say that it's not bad because I, I think it is. I think it's incredibly distasteful. And I think it's. No, I, actually, what showing- you're pointing out to is exactly is, is really important, which is it's not that they were like, hey, let's do an evil thing. They are in such a world, and we still are in that world yeah. where this sort of thing is so institutionalized and built in that right. they don't even notice they're being fucked up. And yeah, that's yeah. not I mean, an apology to it. That's like almost it's more terrifying. Yeah. And like, yeah. you know, Christian Bale played Moses five years ago. Right. Like right. we're still, you know, we're still doing these things. Um, and I do so think strange. that there is something to the notion. Like, I don't think it makes it better. But I think the like it would have been obviously you know more interesting and more authentic with an actual Arab actor there. But the fact that like this sort of stuff, I've always feel really conflicted out because it's not like you know sort of like something like classical blackface, which is about parodying and dehumanizing mm-hmm. and you know like uh, you know being just very hateful and mean spirited with this type of stuff. It's like, you know, if you talk to Alec Guinness about this, he would be like, Oh, I tried to bring all this humanity and try to figure out who this character was and did all this work. And it's like the fact that people go through all that effort when like the most effort you could go through, is just to cast someone authentic actually in the role rather than having, hiring a white guy to like try to force it to figure out what it means. Yeah. Yeah. And it's just one of those weird blind spots. Um, but it is also weird that you do have someone like Omo Sharif, who is in it as well. Uh, with, uh, I was actually surprised by how many actual Arab actors, which sounds horrible, uh, are in this movie. Like, I was expecting yeah. a lot more of it. But it's really, it's like Alec Guinness, and then they have a Mexican guy playing the other main Arab character. Right. Um yeah, I do. I guess so. I think it's interesting that I, I agree that it's a blind spot. I agree that it's different, um, but I also feel like it's it's especially bad in the context of a movie that's like you know the Arab uprising. What I'm really curious about is who is that white guy there, yeah. and then a bunch of white people make a movie about how this affected white people. Yeah, yeah, and that's so. I feel like the the blind spot towards brownface in this case is just indicative of what the whole project was, mm-hmm. which was about this white savior type character 
um, and who is also like racist a lot. Um, right. And, uh, and it's I not mean, like, it's not like they're making fair. it seem what I, I just, I mean, I, I watched the movie a few days ago. I remember there's a lot of scenes of him, like not straight up, like hitting people for saying racist stuff, but like not responding or like giving very judgmental looks when other like British soldiers say racist stuff. Right. Um, but but he also like says racist stuff himself. Um specifically the first time he meets towards the beginning of the movie. Yeah, towards the beginning of the movie. Maybe worth noting too though. And yeah, and so he and he has that sort of like um maybe the zeal of the converted against racism uh towards people, but he's also like like decided that he is their only hope in the world and that yeah. like the the way he's racist early on is like describing them as a people as being weak and if and 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 that they need a great leader to unify them to make them as great as they could be and then he is that person it's just very savory in a way i mean like yeah like yeah i mean like the moses story i've been talking about it's uh so all of that is just like i guess it almost feels like all of that is also a blind spot of the movie so it's not like the movie set out to be like you guys colonialism is great it's that they set out to make a movie about the story and aren't noticing all of the the colonialism and white supremacy that they are being a part of. Yeah, I mean, I th- I'm going to just keep tying it back to my my argument is that I think the genre isn't quite fitting of the like the style of this movie doesn't fit the very like complicated, uh, like complex subject matter. Uh, and I also feel like the filmmakers are only. I think they're certainly aware of it to a certain extent because otherwise why would like Lawrence himself is kind of, he, he goes back and forth. He's a strange protagonist. Um, he, yeah, he says outright racist stuff. Also the British are like, we actually get some of the Sykes Picot. I, I think I'm, I think I'm pronouncing that correctly. Uh, that agreement in the story, like it's mentioned, you know that basically what's going to happen is the French and British are going to betray the Arabs in the end. But then it, it's like weird. It makes you aware of that. And then it doesn't actually show you that moment. Like you don't get that. Well, hey, the next thing that happens in this story is right. all of the white people in it betray all of the brown people in the story. Yep. So like it, it's it's an odd movie in that way yeah. because it yeah. feels like they're almost trying it's almost like i feel like they're trying to give you more than one side of it but they don't maybe they maybe they haven't done their homework and also i don't think this is the right way to tell a story like this um this kind of epic like style hollywood style i don't know that it bef- is very befitting for this type of story, but also like it was made in, I don't know. It's, it's another thing of like, how much can we judge something this far back? If like what Anthony is saying, we still have Jenny Slate in big mouth, like, or we just got past that. Yeah. I mean, that one's so fucking surprising. I mean, I like, how did you not, I, I like, yeah, she's your friend, but didn't like, there's, there's nobody in this production who said, hang on a second, guys what year is it like how is that how does that happen i don't know i uh, mean re- realistically i mean it's you know you look at like the you know, christian bale uh gods and god ex- gods and exodus what was that ridley scott movie when the moses movie but like you know Ridley yeah, scott yeah, yeah. trade up said like i would not have gotten the money to make this right like there is that's still that concern of like yeah like 
I could have cast Arab actors, but like or Egyptian actors for the story, but like I'm not going to get the money to make it. No one's going right. to write me that check. Right. right. Well, that's so I mean, that's so interesting too. Then it's like so like it just feels like such a weak excuse yeah, that you're like, oh man, it's, it's so. The thing is, I just really want to make this story, and the only people who will fund it are the Ku Klux Klan. So I just, <laughs> I'm so sorry, guys, but I'm just so committed to telling this one story. <laughs> like that's a weird answer. I mean, I'm told not yeah. not to you, Anthony. It's a weird answer no, for it him. Is. It's a bullshit, lazy answer, right? Mm. And it's it's. Uh... And my guess is probably with with the Jenny Slate thing. The part of the problem is that if your group of producers and executives are all white people, then they are not going to be as likely to notice a problem. Yeah, um, like that. Just a guess. I don't know enough about that show. But I actually like, think this movie was trying to be progressive it's just that the mm-hmm. people involved in it w- did not have the site necessary to even yeah get close i think it also goes into kind of the thing i was sort of saying with the ridley scott analogy is like and what i was saying with like what their goals for this movie is when you make a movie like this you know it's it's fucked up and it's wrong but especially of this time period that you have to serve your masters for all sense of purposes so like right. this movie was made for a white western audience yeah. to be try to make as most money as possible and yeah. it is usually unfortunately uh you know money is the root of all evil and it is like this notion that like to get the biggest returns we will do whatever we have to do to get that um and that is a lot of times is playing to like the worst of a like sort of cultural ideas about herself. You know, I mean, like I you know the gods in Egypt's movie, uh, the Exodus movie is like a great example. But like you look at like the long history of white savior movies from Dangerous Minds to The Last Samurai. Right. You have like this long history of Hollywood creating characters full cloth. At least this movie had sort of like a mythological character who is bigger than life, that there's some sort of basis in reality that can like can give you those same feelings that like the Western white male audience wants, you know, but also at the same time to pit like this sort of odd, eccentric, asexual weirdo up there instead of Tom Cruise. uh, Interesting. yeah. is you know is such a different choice than what you normally get in these types of white savior narratives so again i'm not like defending you know i'm not like no i, no, think, no. I think this uh, is all very good context yeah but it is just one of those things that is just like i i think that this film has definitely had a lot of things that were very problematic you know, every time alec guinness was be on screen it's just like you know, like shake your head like man it's what? such a it's, bummer yeah. obi-wan yeah. how could yeah, you obi <laughs> Uh, and it's it's the type of stuff that like especially when you know he would like you know he hated uh star wars with a passion he hated like being associated with those movies he hated like um everything about him uh but it's like this is the type of work he was really yeah. I'm a serious actor. Like, <laughs> he's very choosy i see uh, i stand in brown face in the desert um but it's the type of thing that like even kind of with those cultural sensitivities and again your mileage will definitely vary with this uh but to me as like as i can kind of like remove myself from that and sort of step back and just be kind of like just hit with this cavalcade of like amazing photography and performances and music 
that to me it still worked as a film that I think is like like you said, Hunter, trying to do more than it it should be doing, and even if it's like reach, you know, uh, doesn't kind of go as far as it wants to. The fact that it's even trying to do this like slightly messy Hollywood epic, it's just like a interesting experiment, and you know, it yeah. definitely paid off for them. Um, I think it's like a, I think Gods and Kings has actually made money. Right, that's true, uh, and and has a legacy. Um, I would, it's interesting when you were bringing up like other white savior movies, because I actually do feel like in the context of if white savior is a genre, I would say this is probably one of the most famous examples of it, but also a pretty old example of it. And also way more critical of it in and of itself. And this is based on a real person that actually existed. Uh, and it is sad that so we, you know, you think of like the blind side, it's just a now it's just an empty trope you know but Mm -hmm. but but at least in this movie what's another good example of that that maybe was even from the same time period uh to kill a mockingbird i guess gregory Mm -hmm. peck uh that's white savior stuff that's not based on a real dude uh that didn't even need to happen um i mean Uh, i guess it was in the book it was was not the same time um uh the the help or green book Sure. Well, no, I, I think To Kill a Mockingbird is early 60s, like the film. Oh, yeah, I mean. you're right. Yeah yeah. yeah, yeah. I was just trying to think of other things in the genre. And I mentioned Green Book because this also won Best Picture. So White Savior oh, is right. a genre that is just like being a movie about movies is Oscar bait. Yeah. yeah. I mean, Game of Thrones, you know, has, I think, one of like, a, in terms of like most recent cultural impacts, has like one of like the grossest, especially when talk about a show that like fucked and Fuck the bed. I was trying to like fuck it no. up and shit the bed at the same yeah, time. Yeah, yeah, fuck the bed. Uh, no, but, you've got it. Yeah, it's when no, you, it's when you like, have the potential to be great and then you yeah, blow it, that's when yeah, you yeah. fuck the bed. Yeah, a show, a show that, I mean, like the final season of Game of Thrones makes the final season of Lost look like season two of Lost. Uh, <laughs> it's just still, still not a very good season of Lost, but <laughs> that, definitely that way really better funny. than it is. That was really um, funny. But uh, like, yeah. The way that show deals, like, sets up, you know, f- you know five, six seasons, or whatever, of this white savior narrative, uh, just to, like, absolutely vilify the person who did it in, like, this really gross way, and to this hurt and, you know, torture the minority character she uplifted. Like, right. there's still so much of this in our culture, and it just, like, yeah, it is such a bummer. At least there's like this critical element to it with this movie. Um, but yeah, I mean, this is absolutely the type of movie. Like, if you made this movie today, there would be a lot of think pieces about it. You know yeah. what I mean? There would be a yeah. lot of um, a lot of people very uh, upset and angry about it, and like rightfully so. Yeah. Uh, so just to uh, tell you one last thing about this, um, when I Googled 1960s white savior movies, Google has this like box at the top that's like helping you pick a movie. It's called what to watch. And so it's like what to watch movies, white savior narrative in film, the 1960s, like as like a fun genre choosing. Like, oh, my it thinks God. That I was like really interested in finding a white savior from the 60s <laughs> to watch tonight. And it was helping me. And it was like, this is available Ooh, on Crackle. Yum. 
Thanks, Google. Um, all right. We have uh, this has been epic and we have just a couple more quick things to get done. So please stick around uh, for our final segment, yeah. which will include a couple more of my nightmares. But first, a brand new sting. All right. Uh, so we have a meat buddy to thank. But before I do that, I want to tell you, isn't that a great sting? It's a fun sting. Oh, it's good. Um, it's really good. Also, same artist as our theme song so it's more nice. thematic um uh, give you a couple more quick entries from my nightmare journal from last summer your nightmare uh, hole. what your your nightmare hole yeah my nightmare hole let's take a look um theater show i have to perform after the headliner no one stays Oof. um uh are you, are you in the, the green room for the whole nightmare is it is it just you waiting or do you actually no get I, up? no I go on stage as like you know like uh who Chris Rock leaves and then I come on stage to an uh, two people exiting is my Dude, memory especially you following was. Chris Rock that would yeah, yeah not we yeah. don't have I mean the good news is we don't have a lot of overlap in material yeah um, that's probably true uh let's see mauled by a tiger on the subway blinded not able to see art at the museum I was going to um. This is under my animals violence. Animals at the petting zoo are too ferocious. Um, this is from a my my family theme. My older sister convinces our parents to kill me. I try to avoid it. That was you a know, fucked up thing to do, Julia. Alex, seriously, I think I'm going to be a little bit ho- less hoesh on you from now on. Now that I kind of get more of an insight into what's going on up there, yeah, I'm like, come on. I've been a little bit mean. I should... We need to be nicer to Alex, okay? I'm, I'm making a conscious effort from now on. Um, I had a, a, a dream where uh, my wife and I were babysitting, and uh, we both took a nap at the same time, and the baby left. Um, <laughs> I like that, that it's like the baby just... Just up and left. Who knows? Yeah, I guess it could have been stolen. I don't remember. I just wrote down the baby left. (laughs) Um, Baby left. (laughs) We're attending a wedding, and my wife starts eating the cake before the couple gets married. And I I am very upset that this is going to be bad luck for the marriage. This is my food theme. Also, pizza truck crashes, and I don't get any. That's what I wrote. I don't know why. That's a nightmare. That's pretty normal. Um, Yeah. uh, Riding a $3 million bicycle, worried I will crash it. Accidentally put dishes in the dryer, (laughs) ruined them. Man, these all really, there's a lot of variants here as far as like the fear factor. You know, there's the one where you're just worried about a bike. Nothing yes. happens. You're just worried about a bike. That's it. I'm riding a bike. The dream, that dream is like, I'm on a bike and I, it's $3 million and I'm like, oh, but don't crash. That's the a pizza yeah. truck crashes and you just stand there being selfish while they're Look, like, no, all everyone hurting. else is getting it. And I, I try to get some and I don't. Oh, uh, okay. I don't get I, any of the, so everyone's Alex, selfish. I, could we just switch nightmares for a week? I'd be such <laughs> a happier person. Yeah, these uh, are not that bad, bud. No, if I, well, if I, I might be reading you, like the ones that are just fucked up are not as fun. So I'm not telling you those. Oh, give I'm, me I, a fucked up one, dude. Fucking stop um, this podcast in its tracks right now. Share some crazy, fucked up, nasty shit right now. I want uh, to hear the brakes squeal. As we oh, all are like, how do we get out of this? That's how I want to feel so, right now. So there's a very common version of the nightmare I have where I'm like in a house in my parents' old house. So the house that I would like my first half of yeah, my yeah. childhood, which is a two yeah, story it's house, some weird house like that. Yeah. And there's always there's between one and five gunmen entering the house downstairs. And I'm mm-hmm. trying to like run around the house, avoiding them. 
And um, there's a frequent thing that happens where I try to like stand up to them and I think I have a gun and then I realize I'm just like pointing finger guns at them, (laughs) which is like, it's still cartoon. You're right. It's not that horrifying. But (laughs) at the time, it's very fucked up. Again, I was just playing Last of Us 2. That was a level I just went through, Alex. (laughs) This isn't. This isn't good stuff. Give me something fucked up. Um, the the uh, the last one I'll read you is my shirt is covered in bugs, but I have to wear it to play the game. So anyway, play that's from game. my nightmare journal. Game? Yeah, I was like a sport. I was like you know, on a sports team, and my jersey covered oh, okay. in bugs. I really do not like bugs. Um. Anyway, um. Now I want to thank a meat buddy. We have so many amazing people who are keeping the show. Uh, floating down the tracks, and we have a new meat buddy. I want to thank this week. Chelsea from St. Paul became a meat buddy on our Patreon uh, by going to Metreon.com. And Chelsea writes, Hi, Alex. I'm glad you're on Patreon now. Basically, weekly for the last three years, I've thought, oh, yeah, I need to sign up to be a meat buddy. Clearly, follow through is not my strong suit, but it finally percolated up to my to do this now list uh, portion of my brain when I was looking at one of my other people on Patreon. So maybe this was good. Maybe a lot of people were already on Patreon just waiting for us to show up. So that's yeah, nice. yeah. Chelsea adds, unrelated, is anyone working on developing a service animal for people with memory problems? Because that is a growth market. It's huh. a solid idea. I don't know how it would work, but I like the... I also don't know if you think of people as like developing service animals. I don't know if you're like inventing animals, but <laughs> I agree with you. It's a growth market. I just don't know if this is a super easy problem to solve. Yeah, yeah. It, maybe like a jellyfish might might be good. I don't know. And what do you do? You just like whisper secrets to the jellyfish and it retains them? I, who knows? I'm just saying if I was a, a service animal scientist, I'd be like, we should do something with jellyfish. Are right? you just like carrying the, a, a bowl of water around with a jellyfish in it? I'd imagine it's like a hangout in the kind of R&D department and they just have us pitch animals all day. That's what I was kind of thinking. <laughs> like, And it's a, like I, I just have a chalkboard and I just draw a jellyfish holding someone's hand. And, and it just says, like, like, friendship? It's great. Um, <laughs> We're going to make yeah. one of those. <laughs> uh, so, as everybody knows, when we have a new Meat Buddy, I give them an option of what segment they would like, what they'd like us to talk about. And uh, one of the things I always mention is we'd be happy to give you a pep talk. Um, and Chelsea says, I super need a pep talk, please. I mean, we all kind of do right now, I think. And so we're a little tied uh, tied into the opening of the show. This is called Book Ending, I believe. And uh, so we're going to end with a pep talk for Chelsea for the current moment. Um, and to give you guys a second to think about this, to prep before we start, mm-hmm. I bingled how to give a good pep talk. Um, so okay. let me give you what are the some pointers. Ideas. Yeah, give me some pointers on a, on a pep talk. So according to a study from 2018 from the Journal of Experimental Psychology, human perception and performance the key to a pep talk is autonomy supportive approach so meaning you have to emphasize emphasize self-initiation that's the key to a pep talk so um instead of saying like things will get better you 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 can get through this the key is you'll get better you'll well and and not to not to just predict it to say you'll you'll make you have the tools you you will create better Physically. Well, specifically to tell them that they have the tools to get through the difficult time because of X thing you know from firsthand about that person. So you you affirm their personal strengths. Awesome. So, Perfect. What do we know? What do we know about Chelsea? You know all of it. You know everything that I know about Chelsea. Well, okay. Chelsea, let me just say good things first. I like your uh-huh. peppy attitude. Uh-huh. I like your vision. I, uh-huh. I want to let you know that DNA CRISPR machines are getting cheaper and cheaper every year. <laughs> so your search for genetically engineered service animals for memory is a closing in by the yeah. hour. 
Can so, I get I, yeah, totally. I think you're a dog to use a court stenographer machine. Yeah, oh, oh I love God. it. Someone, the Chelsea, someone, someone with your imagination for made up friendly animals is exactly. not going to be stopped by anything. Okay, you're let's just exa- be this real. is exactly right. You're you're you guys are doing it perfectly. So all we know about Chelsea, besides the fact that she's already on Patreon, is that she knows how to recognize a growth market. And oh, if you have good. like this is a moment in time for all of us that I think requires ingenuity it requires you to come up with new and interesting ways to survive because the one of the enemies right now is the monotony is the drudgery of this terrible thing and that's why i think one of the main reasons why the cases exploded a couple weeks ago is not just because of a little bit of reopening but also because everyone got fucking bored at the same time and they were like we've reached our maximum human level of giving a shit and so what we need is creativity to allow you to keep giving a shit and keep getting through something. So if you, you Kelsey have the ability to brainstorm your way out of it, I've seen this. And not all of it, not all people have that creativity. I mean, just look at Alex's nightmare journals, right? (laughs) That's true. true. Some of us clearly, our brains just can't, you know, really. Instead of writing it down, I could just wake up from a nightmare and then recite it to my dog stenographer my stenographer yeah and he it was <laughs> a stenographer stenographer he would just hang yeah. on to it forever oh that would make what a great world can you can you imagine how cute a dog stenographer would be oh i can, i'm seeing it right I now love in my it. Brain. i love it's, it so much in my third eye just imagine like you know how they're already using specialized keyboards for court stenography yeah, imagine yeah. those like but specialized even more for dog yeah uh, of course right, right uh very very cute yeah i i i'm picturing a little droopy dog type situation um but then his hands move kind of fast but he's like kind of bored with life because he's just falling around typing yeah but, i think chelsea would come up with something way better than that okay yeah, uh, yeah of course of all, I'm not uh, my quick Google of uh, whether dog stenographer is a thing so far. The only thing is somebody's tweet. Does he write in short paw? Mm. Okay. For dogs? I actually, oh, short paw, shorthand. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. It didn't register at first. I had to pass through the lower, the lower levels. Also not as creative as Chelsea is capable of being. No, Chelsea, so. Chelsea would, Chelsea, sorry, I can't speak today. Uh, she would slam out some way harder dog pun. Actually, I don't want to put too much pressure on her, but well, actually she can rise to the occasion though. That's the thing. Has the, has the potential if she wants to. Yeah, and totally. As we all know, Chelsea, the first part of feeling better is acknowledging you feel bad. So yeah. you're already halfway there, you know? Yeah. Is you're honest true? with yourself. You're yeah. on, that's a new one. Honest with yourself. Yeah. Self-awareness. I, mean, I think that is, is she, also generosity is the other thing we know, right? Not yeah, only know that. does she donate to us, which is like got to be low on the priority list for anybody, um, but also that she donates to other people through Patreon. She's supporting the arts even in this time. She's probably got a lot of so cash. Difficult. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Look, That's Chelsea, you have everything around. you need to get through this time. You Listen, have Chelsea, you're money. <laughs> money is how you get through any problem. And you have the tools you at your disposal, that, specifically money, to get through great, this difficult Chelsea. You time. got all this money. You're freaking loaded. I feel like okay. this might be the first time we've actually nailed a pep talk. <laughs> I think we did. I think we did a good job. And all recorded by our adorable stenographer. Um, thank you so much for donating. Thank you for donating, Chelsea, and thank you to all of our Metreons uh, uh, for our Meat Buddies on 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 Patreon. You can go to Metreon.com, and you can get 
a segment of equal or lesser quality. <laughs> Thank you so much for listening. We're going to be back again next week. Next week, we're going to have a shorter episode. Um, next week, we're talking about the film Class of 1999. Yeah. And the reason we're doing this might feel like an abrupt left turn, almost like my thing about how blowing up trains seems fun. Um is uh, we are watching this 1990 American sci-fi action thriller horror film directed by Mark Lester, uh, the follow-up to his 1982 film, Class of 1984. The reason we're doing that is because it is sponsored. It's a sponsored topic. So we have done, we've done 25 episodes now in season three. So we're kind of entering, I think, the second phase of season three. We spent the first 25 episodes getting our, kind of like finding our creative voice and we've gotten it and so now we're going to mix it up a little bit we're going to let some other people choose some movies so we have yeah, a few sponsorships and we're also Professor Lopez is coming in hungover putting on a movie for the class <laughs> yeah. you know substitute teacher oh man yeah. how do you if you're a film teacher how do you show that you're not trying if you roll out a movie it looks like your normal class could we call this do, like do you lecture uh, I, you know, I don't know, but could we could we rename it uh, slightly condescending community films college? <laughs> yeah, this is a bit. This is our community college segment. Yes. Um. So last year we did the summer of fun. This year we're going to be doing the summer of friendship. So we have a few sponsorships, um, which is financing the whole thing, and then we also have some friends coming in. Um, we've not been having guests for season three, uh, at, like we used to. So we're going to bring back some of our favorite guests from the the past and talk about movies of their choice. So we're going to use our, I'm going to make Anthony and Hunter at least use their film analysis abilities on perhaps some less important works like Class of 1999. This is sponsored um, by Destiny, who you may remember, remember we read her email a couple weeks ago. This was sponsored by Destiny for her other twin. So we a couple years ago, we watched, when we watched Mac and Me, we did a little birthday thing for, uh, for Guthrie. And this time we're doing a sponsored episode for you dora the other twin um and it is, i'm very excited about it more to say next week um if you want to participate in the summer of fun if you have a recommendation for a guest that you really want or you want to talk to us about sponsorships because you've got some of that sweet problem solver in your bank um just like chelsea um besides becoming a meat buddy you can also sponsor an episode probably if you'd reach out and tell me what you want to do and we can talk about it so we have a couple of uh instead of running a big sponsorship campaign some people just asked and i said sure so podcast at readersweep.com is the best way to get in touch with me uh that's our email address podcast at readersweep.com thank you to everybody who writes in and who is has become a meat buddy and thanks to you guys thanks for being here hunter yeah thank you anthony what are you really? making for, ni- for dinner tonight uh heather's making some chicken strips oh and, it's her turn uh french fries and salad so oh <laughs> shit you're eating in a comedy club tonight yeah <laughs> I like that. Um, well, enjoy your enjoy your fried food and salad. Um, I, will. I will talk to you guys next week. Take care, everybody. Goodbye. Bye. Bye.